Welcome to episode 33 of 1530. So today we're going to be discussing Daniil Medvedev and his remarkable performance at the ATP Finals. We'll talk about other players who stood out and kind of where that leaves us on this crazy 2020 and uh, who has momentum going into 2021. We'll be discussing kind of what we think is going to go on just like we did last year as far as predictions for who's going to win slams in 2021. Um, though I know Australian Open looks like it might be delayed a bit, and we'll talk about that as well due to COVID-19. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. So we're going to start off with the stat of the day. So the stat of the day um, is going to be five. It'll be a couple stats of the day, but five different title winners in five years at the ATP Finals. So that's... Uh, that's a record right there. None and none of these um, members or none of these uh, victors are members of the big three. So this year the winner was Daniel Medvedev. He went undefeated five and zero to claim the title. So of course in the in the group stage you could drop one match. So sometimes uh, players they lose one match in the round robin they go on. Obviously in the semifinal and the final round they have to be undefeated there, but. This is the first time we've had an undefeated champion since 2017. It's not terribly uncommon to go undefeated, but it's just been a few years since we did that. And that's, that was Grigor Dimitrov when he won it in 2017. Uh, the other stat is that the record of six ATP finals that Roger Federer holds still stands. So Djokovic is at five, one behind him. And since Djokovic lost in the semifinals to uh, Dominic Team, he is, he is paused there, one behind Federer. But Matt, what was your uh, what was your thoughts on this uh, on this amazing week of tennis where you have the top eight guys in the world facing off? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean it's always fun to watch, right? Always great competition. Um, obviously frustrating. Rafa still still winless in this. Uh, well, I mean he's won individual matches in it, obviously, but he hasn't taken home the the trophy. Um, so that's always frustrating. But Medvedev showed his his skill on the hard court, man. Uh, I, my thoughts were, it looks like according to ultimate tennis stats.com, uh, it looks like the court played faster than I guess. So it played about as fast as last year, but before that, it looks like it was more of a slow court, but it looks like they're for whatever reason, kind of speeding up the or increasing the speed on those courts. So that certainly I think plays an advantage towards Medvedev's game. And a lot of those hard court players with big serves, but obviously, I mean, obviously frustrating to not see, see Rafa there, but uh, some really good tennis, really good high level. Right. Yeah, that, that was kind of my thoughts too. And especially when you consider Medvedev um, went to the ATP Finals last year, of course, in 2019, and he didn't win a single match, right? So kind of like Rublev came up a little empty. I think he'd ended up winning one match, but Rublev didn't feel that great. You know, he had such a great hardcourt season really great season overall. And then he kind of fell flat the ATP finals. He might, might be able to take some solace from the fact that uh, his Russian buddy Medvedev won it all in the previous year. He didn't win the match. So uh, I, I really think it's an amazing turnaround. Um, you know, beating, beating guys like Djokovic, 6-3, 6-3, very, uh, very routine in the, in the round robin stage. Uh, the semis and the final got a little interesting and we'll, we'll talk about those matches, but I mean, I'll credit to Medvedev. Um, Again, before we get into the numbers, just looking qualitatively, it's just amazing to watch him with his his variety of shot making. Um, 
You know, I, I've never seen a guy who hits the forehand up the line so much, but not hitting it for a winner or an approach shot. He's just pushing it up the line to um, to add some variety and to, to look for better angles, right? He's looking to end the point with usually his backhand as a winner or no winners really at all, right? Besides maybe the, the serve, as you mentioned, he's a big serve, but he's looking for the rallies. He's kind of, he's described himself as, you know, almost like a chess player looking a couple points ahead. He likes... He likes the variety. Um, he, he can come to net and be very effective. Um, and uh, so he, he has shown that as well. He's got the different slices. But he, he's a guy where, you know, a lot of guys run around their backhand to hit forehands. He does the opposite. He runs around his forehand sometimes to hit inside-out backhands, which it's pretty uh, pretty unusual um, game style. And so I don't know if it's just he's just trickier to play for others. But, uh, again, like we mentioned last episode, this is a guy who has a career a career win rate on on clay of thirty six percent compared to his hardcore, which is almost double that um, of seventy one percent. So, I mean, for some for some reason, his variety doesn't seem to work on the clay very well, and, and maybe it's his forehand is just it's a much flatter forehand. You, you tend to to benefit on clay when you hit um, more topspin, but. I mean, his hardcore game, like you're saying, he's uh, he's definitely one of the, the hardcore players to beat right now, uh, and he proved that this year. Uh, but do you want to – I think you have some numbers here talking about Rafael Nadal, talking about that semifinal. Do you want to look at that? Yeah, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, I, obviously, so it was a three-setter. Uh, Rafa took the first set, lost the second in a close tiebreak. I think it was a 7-4 in the tiebreak or something, and then uh, and then dropped the, the third set 6-3 or 3-6 um, but, uh, if I'm reading this right, Medvedev had 13 aces in that match and that's, that's a lot of aces, man. <laughs> but, right. um, so I mean, some of the numbers that I pulled out and I guess I should have converted these into percentages, but, um, Rafa Nadal on his second serve win percentage was 19 for 51. That's well under 50%. And that's, that seems low to me, right? So yeah. I, it, it seems that uh, Rafa's second serve was really getting taken advantage, really getting taken advantage of. He Rafa faced 11 break points. He was able to save seven of them. That's pretty good. But, I mean, that's that's a lot of pressure on your serve. So you're not winning your second serve, and you're facing break point a lot. So at some point, you're going to get broken down, and, and you did, you know? Um so those were two numbers that really stuck out to me. Um, I mean, I think his first serve, uh, Rafa's first serve percentage was pretty low too, 66 out of 117. You're sitting right around 50%. It's not super great. Um, but yeah, it seems like Medvedev, even though he dropped that first set, really kind of controlled the match as far as the numbers went, in my opinion. That was kind of what I found. Do you have any yeah, thoughts on I that? Yeah, I really agree with you. The second serve points one, that's one where it doesn't matter the surface. Rafael Nadal, he wins second serve points, right? He He's good in those long rallies. He He's usually very impressive with that number, usually being close to 50% or above 50%. Like you said, it was well below. It was 37%. Um, one, one thing to note, though, that he did really well in the match is he was winning 74% of first serve points one. That's um, Medvedev won 77. Those are extremely high numbers. Um, I think... Just like we talked about last episode, Nadal is continuing to to find more ways to be effective on his serve and on the first serve, especially. I'm um, going for more pace, going for more one-two, um, you know, one-two punch shots where he's hits a really good serve and then hits a 
hits a winner or a or, or forces an error right away. So I think he's gotten really good at that. And he, in, in fact, this match was was a was kind of a crazy match. Um, I got to watch most of the second set and third set. This was one where Nadal he was up a break in the in the second. He could have served it out. I believe it was five four. Um, had he served it out, this would have been a routine. Oh, Nadal again beats Medvedev, right? Medvedev kind of seems to struggle against Nadal, but this is where Medvedev really showed his variety. He started coming to net a lot more and just put a ton of pressure, like you said, on the Nadal second serve, which which was uh you know it was interesting to see Medvedev not be as passive, and then of course he won it fairly easily six three in the third. But again, this is one where Nadal, I think he maybe maybe I'll look back on that service game at five four with a little bit of regret, but. Uh, I think, again, we do got to credit Medvedev um, for his great play. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think I realized he was up a break in that second set. Yeah, because the numbers, it just it just shows it very tight. and that. Uh, but that, that second serve point, like you said, I think that's the key of the match. Um, Medvedev, really, he didn't really get many break chances. He, he had looked like he was, uh, like you said, won four break points out of 11. That's, uh, that's not exactly a good percentage there, but... Anyways, let's uh, let's move on. I'll, I'll I'll discuss quickly the uh, the second semifinal. This is one where uh, Team Djokovic played. If you watched this match, uh, this was insane, right? Team won the first set seven five. The second set in the tiebreaker, Team had many chances to win it, and Djokovic somehow came back. This is one where both guys were playing extremely high levels of tennis. But one thing I did notice was that Djokovic, certain points it, it benefited, him, other times it didn't. He was just trying to shorten the points. In my opinion, way too fast. He wasn't using his advantage, and maybe it's because Team was doing such a good job with uh, his the variety on the slice backhand, keeping that slice low, and then pummeling the forehand return uh, and going for forehand winners. So maybe Djokovic honestly just didn't want to get a long rally with the guy, but too often Djokovic was trying to end the point, and a lot of times he missed. Sometimes, like in the tiebreak, it paid off, and he ended up winning that twelve uh, ten in that second set tiebreak. So that, that was an amazing tiebreak. Uh, in the third set, though, team got it done. He was actually down, I believe, four points and uh, was able to just reel off a ton of uh, very impressive winners. So it was, a, it was a fun match to watch overall. If you go into the numbers, uh, they looked very similar. You know, these guys were using their first serve even more effectively than Medvedev and Nadal were at 85% for Djokovic, 82% for her team. That's I mean, even even grass numbers aren't uh, aren't usually that high. That's extremely high. But again, like you're saying, second serves. So um, team won 53% of his second serve points. Djokovic a paltry 45%. You know, we're not not used to seeing him win so few second serve points. Um, team saved all of his break points, three for three. Um, Joke only saved uh, one for two there. But yeah, I mean, this this match came down to. To a couple tie breaks. Uh, it was very, very tight, but very fun to watch if you're a tennis fan. I, it just seems like team, I think he's risen to the occasion. He doesn't really lose to Djokovic much anymore. Um, he continually beats him on clay, and it seems like hard court, with the exception, of course, the Australian Open final. But uh, this was a great match to go back and maybe watch some highlights of. Let's see. And then yeah, I guess, absolutely. Yeah, 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 you're good. Go no, sorry. Uh, I think we should just uh, should just go right to the final then. Um, Perfect. Yeah, so it was interesting, right? Because last year it was uh, Pass beating team in a third set tiebreaker. So it was the first time in a long time that it, uh, the ATP final champion had been de- determined by a third set tiebreak. We didn't get that this year, but it did go three sets. And team again was on the losing side. And honestly, 
based on the momentum of how he played all year, how he's been playing on hard court. He's been such uh, a powerful player on the hard court. I was definitely favoring him to win, but also, again, not surprised that Medvedev pulled it off. So let's let's go ahead and dive into those numbers a little bit more. So first year points one, Medvedev continued um, his pace that he did in the semifinals. He won 77% of his first year points. Team was at 74%, so again, very comparable there. But again, it's coming down to the second serve points one, where Medvedev won 55%, team only won 44%. Um, the ace uh, ace advantage went to went to Medvedev, but team still had um, had several as well. And then return points, the guys looked almost identical. 34% uh, return points went to Medvedev, and 32 32% return points went to team. So this was a, a nail biter. If you if you calculate their their surf factors, which I did. Medvedev had 101 surf factor and team had 98. So the differential is only three. And if you remember times past, at least um, when the model is used for a five set match, if you win by by uh, by 30, a difference of 30 in your, your differential there, it's usually a, a very lopsided uh, three set, you know, straight set victory. If it's like 20, Difference of 20, it's, um, it's usually like a four-setter, so fairly tight. And then if it's 10 or less, it's usually a five-setter. And this one is a difference of three, so showing that there's not much separating these guys. These guys were very, very tight, and the points showed it as well. It was a difference of three points. Medvedev won 115 points to teams 112 points. But it was a very fun match, very very much back and forth. But I think Medvedev's, uh, Medvedev's variety and his ability to just stay in some of these longer points and second serve – Second serve points one really, really won him the match. But, I mean, credit to both guys. It was also a very fun match to watch. Any any thoughts on that, Matt, on the on the final or on on where both of these guys have come this past, I guess, couple years now? Uh, just that, yeah. I mean, it's obviously high-quality tennis, and it's really it's refreshing, right, to see uh, some non-big three winners. As you said, the last five years we've had that. Which is impressive, uh, the award tr- the, at the at the finals. Um, yeah, no, I I think that's that's about it. I think that this isn't necessarily just a, a one off, right? I mean, every year you can make the argument. Every year we talk about this. Oh, the next chin's coming. Somebody's going to finally take up, and I think we're actually finally fi- starting to see that. And maybe it's because the big three are finally getting to show their age a little bit. You know, maybe getting a little bit tired. Uh, but nonetheless, you are starting to see this. It, no longer are these upsets in the sense that they were a couple of years ago. Now it's more expected. You know, the the big three might still have the might still go into matches uh, with the uh, the betting odds, right, as betting favorites. But uh, it's becoming more and more normal to see them dropping out. So, right. I mean, credit to credit to Medvedev. He beat. You beat Rafa and Joke on the way to the finals and, and then took out team. That's that's high-quality tennis. That needs to be consistent, right? It's not just one match here, one match there, not even just two matches here. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's a super good point that you bring up as well. That's something that Medvedev said. He's kind of been struggling with consistency in general with his uh, results, and he said, you know, had he had you told him before this tournament started that you're going to go undefeated, you're going to, you know – you're going to not only win the whole tournament, but you're not going to drop a match. He said, I would have thought you were crazy, but this, this, he said, this is giving him a ton of belief, right? Uh, going into the majors 
he, you know, he beat, like I said, beat Djokovic straight sets. He beat team. He beat Nadal. He beat everybody, right? Zverev. Um, this is, this has given him a ton of confidence. And, uh, I think like you're saying, I think it's, you know, maybe, maybe the best analogy is it's, it's like a sunrise, right? Where, you know, slowly the, the young guns are starting to rise up, but it's, it's, it's kind of hard to tell exactly when that point is because it's so gradual. Um, yeah. but like you're saying, I, I, I do, I do really feel like we're, we're hitting that point. I mean, even, even Andy Murray was, was discussing his picks for, for the semifinals before they were played. And he said, yeah, I, I think I'd pick Rafa, but he's like, that's yeah, so, so close. And then he picked Djokovic and I thought on both, I'm like, I also, I honestly was picking team because of his momentum throughout. And then I was picking Medvedev as well, but I was more unsure on that one. I thought this was Rafa's best chance uh, of winning uh, the ATP finals. Yeah. But, yeah so he's been in the finals a couple times before, but I, I thought this was his, his most recent best chance. But uh, again, credit to these guys. You know, I wasn't surprised when, when both of these guys won. Um, beat Nadal and Djokovic, where in years past this would be headline news, right? Where, oh my gosh, then you know Nadal and Djokovic don't make the final, even you know. But but now this right. is just kind of how tennis is. We have such elite talent now at the top. So, what does this mean for the future? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> a year. Uh, what do we 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 predicted? What at least one member of the non-big three would win this year, and I guess that did happen with team, but. <laughs> yeah. We also had one fewer Grand Slam to, to deal with. Right, right. And a uh, uh, super funky year. But again, let's let's remind the listeners that uh, team was up two sets to one on Novak Djokovic at his best tournament in Australia last year, or in 2020. So, you know, if team just gets over the hump and can uh, can play this form in, in the Grand Slams, he can beat anybody. Medvedev on a hard court can beat anybody, you know. Nadal's still probably going to win Roland Garros. Djokovic is still going to be a contender in every slam he enters because that's who he is. Um, Federer will always be a contender on the grass at least. But I I really do think we're going to have more young guys win this year. Is it going to be one slam, two slam? I don't know. Uh, but I would at least give him another slam this year. But which slam is it going to be? I don't know, Matt. What are, what are your thoughts? What slam do you think is most wide open? Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you look at the – the U.S. Open has probably been the one that's most wide open just because it's towards the end of the season. You know, Rafa's always injured by then. <laughs> Joke's tired by then. Um, but who knows? Just like you said, I mean, it's um, – you have these these guys coming up that at least on, on certain courts, maybe not across the board, like we've seen the big three dominate. But who you know, Medvedev, like you said, he's always a threat on the hard court now. Team's always a threat on the on, on the clay, and Tsitsipas is always there in the grass. All it takes is for them to have one good fortnight, right? Yep, just really solid play. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I think you're right. I think we'll at least see one, uh, if not two, man. Maybe maybe somebody will sneak in. Something yeah. Like I'm I, I'm kind of getting the feeling that the that the hardcore majors this year might be might be pretty wide open. Even Australia, I I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, I, I, let's let's talk about Australia uh, for a quick second. So the most recent that I've read. So right now the Australian Open is slated for its normal time, kind of end of January. The problem is is when the season kind of starts when people arrive to Australia for practice, it's not giving them much of a window because the government of Australia is mandating a 14 day wrong period due to due to covid ramping up so they they and they can't practice during that time they are confined to their hotel room a very strict quarantine it sounds like so based on that they wouldn't be able to get practice for those two weeks 
And then the time window for that sun up and started would be within a few days. So what we're hearing from, from the governing bodies of tennis is that, you know, that that's not probably a good recipe for a major when you don't, people don't have practice. So it's going to be pushed at least um, a couple weeks, probably. People are also talking February, March. There's so much that's unknown right now, but I don't think it'll be its normal time. Um, but uh, yeah, kind of yeah. kind of interesting there. The, the Australia being different. Yeah, I thought I'd heard mid February, but I guess that was just conjecture by somebody. No, yeah, that's and that's totally possible. That's completely possible. Um. So that will be something very interesting to watch. I don't know if that'll change, you know, who uh, who would be favored or, or whatnot, but that's interesting. Let's uh, let's also go let's, – let's look at team's career average versus his 2020 year. I just want to uh, point out a couple things of, of how he did this year and how he's improved. So really looking at the serve, um, besides improving his first serve percentage by three points, there's not a lot different. In fact, he won a few percent less on his second serve. Uh, points one, but he was able to save 2% more break points leading to 1% more service games one. So you think, ah, oh, that's not too big, but that's 1%. But then on a return game, he's getting better at those first serve points uh, or first serve returns one. And he's getting into those, those rallies. So it's 2% better, which is pretty significant, which is helping him win 3% more break points one, or, you know, not necessarily that those are correlated, but he's also winning 3% more break points one which is leading him to win 2% more of his return games. But what I really wanted to get at was if it seemed like team had a better 2020 than, than his average and team's been fantastic for many years. Now it's true. He, he won 8% more matches won in 2020. So pretty big deal. Again, we're not seeing a ton of changes, especially on his serve, but the guy's getting better at better at returning big serves. Um, handling the Zverev server, the Medvedev serve. I, I think I think we could see team do better on, on some of these fast courts. Maybe even, dare I say, grass if he uh, if he can find a way to to win more return points on the first serve. So just wanted to put that out there that team had a fantastic 2020, won one grand slam, but he he really did produce bigger results. You know, smaller tweaks in the stats, maybe, but that's that's a that's a pretty big result. And then I also wanted to look at Medvedev. So first of all, looking at the ATP finals, I always like to look at which stats are kind of the kind of the key stats because it's different for different tournaments. Um, so looking at like the winner average. So for the ATP finals, it looks like the the winner was 11% better on average at winning first serve points one. And like you're saying, on a, on a really fast court, that makes sense that the first serve is a big factor. But as we pointed out with Medvedev, second serve points one was also a big deal. That was 10% different so both of them pretty much equally weighted uh, uh very important in order to win a match there break points was only five percent better uh which was was surprising to me break points are usually pretty high up there so the winner of the match only won five percent more break points than the loser did and then return points was at 11 percent. so <laughs> kind of weird that's the way the numbers shook out at least for every one of medvedev's matches that he played that equally weighting the first serve points the second serve points and the return and maybe that's just a um, a commentary on the way Medvedev plays, that he's just so solid. He has a big first serve. He's he's finding a way to win his second serves, and he wins a lot of return points. But um, just wanted to point that out there for, for Medvedev. And then also look at his career points. So for his career, his career serve factor 
has been 86. So, and what, what makes up the surf factor, right, is again, uh, the first surf points one is 74%. That's incredible. Don't really expect that to get much better, but it did. In 2020, it was 4% better, 78%. That's, that's an absurd number. Um, his second surf points one were 52% for his career, which is, again, good enough to win matches. This year, it was 55%, and that's kind of what we were seeing throughout the ATP Finals. It was around, hovering around that number. So the guy's, the guy's serve is just getting better and better. On the return points, they were pretty much identical. So maybe there's not much more room for him to get better, but his career is 39%, return points one, 2020 is 40%. And usually in the high 30s is pretty pretty good. 40%, that's um that's astronomical. And break points were again pretty identical. So didn't really see too much on the return this year. I think he was already a good returner, but he found ways to be even more effective on his serve. And uh, I think I think we're seeing him at a level where Looks like he has the stats in order to beat the top guys, and maybe maybe this translates on best of five, and he can win some slams. So, wanted to point out his career numbers there. Um, also, expect uh, Rublev to have a great 2021, and maybe even he'll win some matches next year at the ATP Finals. I don't know, following Medvedev's steps. But uh, any thoughts, Matt, on on any of those numbers or on on who you're looking at for 2021? Yeah, I'll throw some numbers out there too uh, for. Uh, bring us back to the ATP finals real fast and Rafa's poor performance. <laughs> if you want to see a lot of red, you compare his, his performance in the ATP finals to his career and he's down percentage wise in every single aspect of the mat, uh, of tennis. Right. So, I mean, and, and he's down pretty significant. I mean, so if you, we were just talking about how like two percentage points with team was like a pretty good, uh, pretty good thing. But his first serve uh, win percentage is down 3%. His second serve win percentage is down 3% as well. And his return win percentage, so his first serve return win percentage is down 8.5%. His second serve return win percentage is down 4.5%. He's winning 3.5% fewer breakpoints. Um, so overall, he's he's losing or he's winning almost 7% fewer return points. Long story short, I don't know if he's just, if if there is real merit to him being just dead by the end of the year, or if it's just pressure, or if it's just, who knows. Huh. But his performance at the ATP Finals is is very uncharacteristic of Nadal for the, the way that he plays throughout the year. I thought that was interesting just to throw those out there. Um, but... I mean, in, in direct contrast, right, to Medvedev, and you say, looking at these things that are improving, that's, uh, if he can maintain that again, you know, through this year, then he'll be in contention, obviously, for a lot of, a lot of, at the end of a lot of these tournaments, it'll be interesting to see what he can do and what he can improve this coming year. If he can be like the big three and continue to focus on different aspects of his game and, and continue to bring them up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think obviously the consistency is key for everybody. You know, you, yeah. We see flashes from all of these guys coming up. Sissipas, team, well, team's obviously more consistent than the rest. But Zverev played really well this past year. Yep. We haven't even talked about him. And uh, if, they can, if they can maintain that and maybe improve in you know, just a few areas, one area, two areas, mm -hmm. then you can, you can start to see some really, really competitive I think the idea of the big three will kind of disappear in, in essence. 
Right. There can be so much parity that it doesn't matter. You know, call it a big five right. or call it whatever you want, but they're right. Right. I mean, at that point, yeah, you get yeah. the big 10 or whatever, but yeah, you're like, right. okay, well, that's just the top 10. And that's, that's awesome, right? That's what you want to see. You want to see more competitiveness. I, I, I think, you know, the big three played their part in this, this last decade or whatever of dominance and have really brought tennis to the forefront with just incredible play and incredible, I mean, just all of the wins they've brought in. But I think it'll be nice to start finally start to see some, you know, some more competition. Suddenly these big three don't, aren't expected to be in the finals of every tournament and of every, of everything they do. That would be right. nice to see. So, yeah, you, you, you brought up some great points there, right? Like Nadal, for some reason, you know, he, he, he actually excels, you know, contrary to proper, he does ex- actually excel on the hard court. It just seems to be the narrative of the indoor court. Um, not exactly sure why he struggles more on that. I don't know if the first serve is just has a greater effect on the indoors or other players, seem to rise to the occasion more than him. But either way, yeah, it just seems like that's not his um, – it's not his preferred surface is indoor hardcore. But um, like yeah. you're saying, I, that's interesting. I still saw exceptional improvement with him on his first serve. Look to see if he's going to do that in Australia. And, Wimble- you know, that could help him win a Wimbledon crown. He he hasn't won one in a while. He's won two Wimbledons. But last one was like 2010. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll go further in Wimbledon if he's having a bigger first serve. Um well, and that's the other point too, right? I mean, it, it's easy to talk about these other players improving because, you know, they're newer to the scene. There's always things to improve when you're younger. But the, the big three aren't stagnant by any means, as you've said multiple times. They're going to be there improving their game just the same. And so it's like, you know, who can, who can get the bigger improvement? Yeah. But, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, yeah, and improve the, the stats that will actually help you and, and not take you away from the way you win games, right? I mean, Nadal, we don't want him to shorten. Just just like Djokovic, right? Why is he trying to shorten points too much, right? We know he's good in these long rallies. Yes, he can also hit some great uh, serves and some great one-two punches, but does he really need to be shortening the points that much? You know, arguably maybe not, but that's just kind of what he, he sort of did against team, his default was, so... Interesting to see what adjustments they'll make. But I guess for 2021, uh, the things I'm interested in and knowing to, to kind of close up, because we've already talked about, we do think someone non-Big 3 will win at least one slam, maybe. I might even go with two. But I want to hear, like, what specifically – what players are you looking at specifically in 2021 and what what specific thing are you looking at them improving? So I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm looking at Zverev in 2021, really focusing – paying attention to that second serve because, <laughs> you know, he, he, he has bombs of first serves and sometimes he does bombs second serves, but he double faults a lot. So he really needs to work on that consistency on the second serve and not double faulting. It'll be interesting to see Australia. That's really a tournament where players, it's not a long off season, but it's an off season where players get to work and um, hone in on certain skills. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how Zverev does in Australia. He made the semis last year, which is great. Um, don't know if he can improve on that, but, Either way, I'm looking at his second serve. Um, let's see, and then let's go with let's go with Sitsi Pass. So again, he was able to match his career high, um, you know, rounds of, of a Grand Slam. He made the semifinals of Roland Garros, which is amazing. He's good on every surface. That guy's very fun to watch. So interesting to see how he does at every Slam. But specifically, looking at that backhand, um, it kind of broke down a little bit against Djokovic, and a few times he was kind of 
trying to look like, you know, do too much, maybe go up the line, maybe at different times when he maybe shouldn't have and, and missing that shot. But, and he even said that after the match, He's like my backhand's got to get better. His forehand is such a weapon. His backhand is beautiful, but I think, I think it was just kind of breaking down a little bit. So I'm looking at that backhand and again, looking at his results on every surface, he should be able to go far in every major. I don't think there's any reason why not. Um, any, any players you're looking at Matt specifically and what you think specifically you're looking at? Well, you took you took Severa from me. I did. But, uh, Easy one, yeah. <laughs> I'll drop this one. So mine is uh, Roger Federer. Mm, nice. And I want to see. I mean, he's coming back again. Everybody's writing him off. All McEnroe, all that. 